We are in a, a different season. Two weeks ago when Easter came, it moved us into a new direction. The season of Easter leads to the season of Pentecost, and the Pentecost, of course, is the indication that it is 50 days. So we're in the middle of the second week uh, leading toward Pentecost. And Pentecost is this amazing season in which the Spirit of God breaks into the church. What would it be like if the Spirit of God broke into this place like happened in, on the day of Pentecost and the wind would start swirling and that kind of thing? But that gets us ahead. In the meantime, these stories in the, what's called the Easter season is, are the stories of this breakthrough of resurrection, the re-energizing of people. These stories are refreshing. They are the stories of coming together. When Saul can turn into Paul, Saul, the Hebrew name, turns into Paul, the Greek name, with a new mission and a new calling. The 50 days leading to Pentecost are days of surprise. We have been using that, that theme this week and we'll continue to do so until Pentecost comes. The season of surprise when God uses ordinary people and the events of everyday life to do extraordinary things. So in the next several weeks, we'll explore these Easter stories. And today is this mind-boggling tale when the early church's chief hater is knocked to the ground by a dazzling demonstration of holy signs interrupting his mission, what he perceived as what he was serving God to travel to Damascus. And Damascus is the same city that we know as Damascus, Syria. And there's a road that goes up there from Jerusalem, and so he's on this road. His mission? His mission is to terrorize the Jewish converts to Jesus in what was known at that time as the way. It wasn't known as Christianity. It wasn't this or that. It was known as the way. And it says so in the text that Saul and his entourage, he had, what did he have? Bruisers. He had, he had men who would go with him on these expeditions. And his goal was to bring as many converts to the way as, as he had manacles and to haul them back to Jerusalem where they had to face the ire of the chief priest. I'm going to read the first six verses of today's uh, text. Meanwhile, Saul, while still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if any be found who belong to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. There are two ways that you can go about making a U-turn in life. You know, that point in life where you feel like you're going down the wrong path, and you need to make a change, and you don't quite know what to do, and yet there is this demonstrable feeling that you are 
you're headed in the wrong direction. Ever had a moment like that? Most people have had something like that. They needed a U-turn moment. They needed a time at which they can turn and reverse. They can pivot and go in the direction that they need to be going. You can do it the way the stunt drivers do in the Fast and Furious movies. The several movies of Fast and Furious, this franchise, at top speed with your hair on fire and spinning around in the city square and turning around in the midst of all that and then going in the new direction. That's one way. Or you can do it the way the country singing group, the Willis family, and their one single that they had a while back described in this trucking song. Give me 40 acres and I'll turn this rig around. I don't remember it either, but it's a, it's a good filler for a line. Saul's turn was fast and furious as he did a dramatic 180 from persecutor to preacher. And Timothy's conversion, on the other hand, was more gradual and described by Paul this way, how from infancy he knew holy scriptures and was able to make wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how Paul writes to Timothy and says, here's what your, your conversion was about. The 180 guy in the Fast and Furious movie is talking about the truck that could turn in 40 acres time in young Timothy. Young Timothy could not remember a time when he wasn't a believer. And both stories are legit. Maybe Saul's dramatic conversion story is a model of conversion that describes your decision to be a Christian. Or maybe not. I've heard hundreds of people tell their story of salvation to talk about the way in which they made a commitment to Christ and the circumstances around that. I've heard hundreds of people talk about that and they all have something a little different, but some are decisive and dramatic, but many, many others, they're not decisive or dramatic at all. Some describe never having realized that they were ever not a Christian from childhood. Maybe the family was so steeped in Christian faith, and they attended church every day of their lives. They don't remember a time when, when Christianity was not the way that they believed. Uh, they're sure that they are, but they can't point over their shoulder to a time at which conversion occurred. I know people who talk about their, their description of becoming a Christian in just that way. There was no being knocked out in the middle of a road. There was no shining spotlight. There was no booming voice, no blindness, no miraculous healing. In fact, I would guess there are a lot of people who would not even want to talk about their conversion. They're so private. They're shy about it. And they would, might feel like they might be judged if they were to tell their story of salvation. It would be helpful for us to realize that the DRE, also known as the Damascus Road Experience, the DRE that some people experience, is a path that some take. I've known enough Christians who've talked about this moment in which they have flipped over and turned over their lives to Christ. Unexpectedly, of course, they didn't see it coming. They didn't anticipate it. 
But they got to the point where becoming a Christian became such a needy thing that that's what they went through. For others, there are other paths of Christian transformation and the blinding spotlight from heaven is only one of those. Well, part of the way the drama is baked into the story from Saul's pre-conversion reputation is that he was a feared character. He was known all over the Middle East. He was known in all the places where Jewish converts were. His story of transformation stands in stark contrast to the role of fear-mongerer. Saul was a man of violence. In fact, in, in the book of Acts, we get in the seventh chapter, we get the story of the stoning of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. And who is there where the rock throwing was, but Saul, young Saul at the time, and what his job was, he held the cloaks of all those who were planning to throw the stones. He was there in full endorsement of what was happening. This is sort of told as a footnote to us so that when we get to chapter 9 in this story of his conversion, it begins to make sense. Saul was a very violent, true believer. He was a true believer to be able to carry out that kind of thing. But this faith story is not just about Saul turned to Paul. It's not just about his conversion. This story includes the whole community of believers in Damascus who were the target of his violence. He had a crew with him. They were on the road. The news of his arrival was, was reverberating in the communities leading up to Damascus. They knew that he was coming. And Saul had already identified many of them by name to the high priest in Jerusalem so he could bring them back he had authority from the temple to bring these people back in chains and manacles and to carry them back to Jerusalem where they would be punished by the priest. The Bible says it in this kind of way that Saul breathes threats of violence. Can you just sense the approach? That here he comes and he's breathing these threats of violence. He is becoming so big on this and they know that he's approaching. Let's read that story. It comes out of the seventh verse through the 20th. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying and he is seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. 
But the Lord said, go. Written in there, by the way, in invisible ink is, quit talking and go. I know where I'm sending you. Saul is an instrument who I've chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Often our lives are given direction by the mystery of slender threads that occur. The slender threads are any unplanned gift or curse of circumstance that alters the trajectory of your life. Slender threads are the counter melody to your wish to intentionally direct your paths through the decisions you make or they are the steps you take to control you, your future. The slender threads are those happenstances you don't control, but that control you. This is the idea that the psychologist Robert Johnson has brought forward in his work of working with people and figuring out what their lives are about. Even though we exert free will, we make as many good decisions in a row as we can and we make plans and we set goals and proceed with full confidence as though we are in control. There are times where I feel like, like I'm something of an orchestra, orchestra director. And I feel like I can, I can make things happen and I can set things up in a purposeful way for my own benefit. And then there are other times where I can't do anything right. Call it fate call it blind luck on occasion, call it destiny, call it the hand of God, call it whatever you will, but know there are events and plans that we control and there are intrusions and interruptions, surprises that we don't control, things that we don't see coming at all and they come. And how is the will of God felt and understood in the midst of those things? At the same time that Saul was praying, after he had been knocked off of his mount. I tried to think of the biblical word for donkey and use that here, but I'm not going to. It's too tempting. But he was knocked off of his mount in the middle of the road and he just laid there. And he was speaking to Ananias. God at the same time was speaking to Ananias who was described simply as a disciple. Or better yet, just a disciple might be the way the scripture really is read. He was not a leader of the community, nor was he perceived as particularly heroic or courageous. Ananias was something of a common man, an everyman, we might say. And the voice interrupted his personal concerns of safety and security. We could 
we could almost point out to Ananias persons in our congregation. And all of a sudden, God speaks to them and gives them something to do, something of the divine nature to act in this particular way and accomplish this particular thing for God's purposes. And so Ananias, this everyman, makes a cameo appearance in this story in, Paul's, in Saul's conversion. We know nothing about him either before or after the story. He's not a character who stays on stage for very long, only that he had a supremely important task to accomplish in the history of the church. The job, go find Saul on Straight Street, Saul the terrorizer, Saul the terrorist maybe, and deliver the will of God for his life. That you get to say the words to him about what his next step in the journey is. Saul was to take the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and the kings and the people of Israel. That's what God tells him to say. At first, Ananias doubted the wisdom of this plan. You do know who this is, don't you, Lord? Go, the Lord says to him. And he gets up and he goes. And it wasn't long before Saul, after all of these experiences, took a new name. Ever had an experience where you wanted to change your name? I knew a young guy in my first church that I ever pastored. I knew him as Phoenix. His name was David. Phoenix had an experience driving a car west across the desert. And he was in such a messed up place that he had a moment of transformation. The sun was in his eyes. He was driving alone. He was talking to himself. He was talking to God. And he changed his name to signify this moment of total transformation to Phoenix. His mom and dad didn't know what to think about him. The church members had to learn his new name. I came in and I only knew him as Phoenix because I met him after all this event. When a dramatic conversion captivates us and our lives are redirected in a new direction with a new purpose and a deeply spiritual encounter grows out of the ashes of the old life, we may choose a new name. We may find that the name of our past is not sufficient anymore. So Saul became Paul. He, he crossed a threshold and became Paul. And Paul later described his transformation this way in a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. That flipping over of his life, that total transformation is what happened to Saul who became Paul. And Jesus' voice was heard, but he wasn't the only one who led Saul by the hand. Jesus did not take Saul up by the hand and lead him into Damascus and to take him to Straight Street. There, the people with him did that. And most often, God chooses everyday people to do God's work. God chooses nothing special people who play a cameo role. And something that God calls them to do is decisive and is dramatic and is operational. And God takes the work of a no-name person and actually does great and marvelous things. That is the Easter 
story of this. Everyday folks who are members of a cast of characters of God's work that are involved at some point or another. Nobody does it all. It's not all done by one person alone. It's done by a whole cast of characters. Goats. I didn't know we had the term goats. I thought it was Tom Brady, but, but it is. Giving ourselves away. I love that. They're mostly unnamed people. They're not known out in the street and in the community. And they may not even be remembered for their faithfulness. But more often than not, God uses supporting cast members to shape and to guide the activity of God in a community. These great events that go into the amazing story of God's story of salvation. Saul turned into Paul is remembered in the Bible while Ananias and many, many others are not remembered. They're mostly forgotten. At the beginning of this service, if we had a pop quiz and ask you who is Ananias in the Bible, well, there are a couple of them, but you wouldn't pick Ananias out of a lineup of biblical characters, likely, unless you really know your story. And that's a shame because Ananias deserves our consideration. The role that Ananias plays is overshadowed by other stories, but he is to be commended for acting in obedience to his own calling, to being open, sitting by the window praying. That was Saul, but it was also Ananias. And the word of God comes and speaks to both of them. And in spite of his massive fear, he had every reason to have fear of Saul, the terrorist coming into the community Ananias took a chance and obeyed God. And when he met Saul face to face, he didn't scout out the situation. He didn't feel out self-protectively worried about what might happen when he walked into the room where Saul was. He put all of that aside because he had a mission. He had a thing that he had to do. And so he went in and Ananias greeted the terrorist by calling him Brother Saul. That's an amazing moment. And in so doing, Saul's sight was restored and the scales, whatever they were, they fell off of his eyes. So when I imagine Ananias, I can't help imagining the hands of Ananias really being the hands of Jesus at work in this story. When Jesus needed someone to pull a trigger or pull a lever or make a thing happen, he called on someone that he knew he could trust. And Ananias shows up in this cameo role. And a lot of God's work in the world is like this. It looks like a cameo role, but it is really the main thing. We give thanks today for Ananias and for the impact in the world for the impact of the Christian faith that he had the opportunity to help shape. God bless Ananias this morning. Amen.